in your uh, e-bulletin, so take a look at it. We don't want you to miss anything. Uh, we are going to conclude our study today in Moving Forward in Difficult Days. The title of the message today uh, is Running Your Race Well. So if you'll open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll read verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 12, also verses 1 and 2. And as we're turning there, just a, again another friendly reminder is this Turn the ringers off our phones. Be free from distraction. Uh, last service was a lot of phones going off. And so we just live in that day and age uh, that we need to be reminded of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He's speaking about a crown that we're to be running for. And in chapter 9 verse 24. That do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, 1 and 2, a couple of verses that many of you are very familiar with, that we read, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And let's pray. Father, as we come on this first Sunday of 2022, um, we are thankful that we can come and hear your word. Um, I pray that it would be an encouragement and a blessing uh, for us as we have a race that is set before us to run it well, to run unhindered, Lord, to, to please you with our lives. I also want to pray as we start a new year. Last year, we can be thankful for your provision, for your love for us. Uh, Lord, but also we, we, all of us, I think, went through our times of challenges and we see the difficulty around us. We saw last week as uh, many people lost their homes, how, how horrible it was. Uh, and to know that a thousand homes are gone. Thousands of people are displaced right now. Those who went away for the day, maybe doing some shopping or gathering with friends, they couldn't even come home. All they have is what was on their backs in their vehicle. And Lord, we can't understand just the sense of loss. But Lord, we pray that you would be with them. We thank you for the first responders that ran to the danger to evacuate people. And Lord, I just pray that um, as the owners of those homes burnt or those even damaged that are coming home and going through the rubble, that Lord, that you bring comfort to them. We know that there's a few people that are missing. Lord, we just lift that all up to you and and Lord, we just pray for the families that are disheartened right now. They're wondering, where are we going to stay? What are we going to do? We pray for the chaplains on the scene. And Lord, the Christians would be a light. 
Lord, we also, as we see the other things around us, even in our own state and nation, we see the violence, we see the lawlessness, we see COVID, the, the concerns and, and all of that. It seems like we're in uncertain times, but we can know for certain that we have a living hope. And Lord, I pray that as we talk about running our race, as we move forward in a life pleasing to you in these difficult days. People are looking for the light. They just don't know where to find it. And that we would give that message of truth and hope and, and life to them. So I pray that, Lord, that you would touch our hearts and stir our hearts. And, Lord, as we enter this year, do you want to use us? And, Lord, do you want us to draw close to you and keep our eyes on you? So I pray that we're free from distractions right now. That as we gather to hear your word, this is important. This is of priority. So help us be attentive to the things that you say to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we conclude our series, as we've been discussing over the last four weeks, how we can live lives that are pleasing and dedicated to God in the difficult days that which we are living in. The first week, we talked about the importance and the priority of the Word of God and prayer in our lives. And in week number two, how we are to be a godly example. And I want to remind us, God wants us to be a godly example because people may not come to church. They may not know the gospel or want to hear the gospel or perhaps read their Bibles. But here's the thing. They're going to see the gospel being worked out in your life. So he calls us to be a godly example. And then last weekend, Christmas weekend, we talked about being strong and courageous. And then now as we finish our series in this first Sunday of 2022, the message is running our race well. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul would oftentimes liken our Christian lives as a race to be run. And he certainly does that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as he writes, Don't you know? And, and when you read that, it's like the Apostle saying, You should know this. This is very important that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a price. So what you are to do is run in a way that you may obtain it. And Paul, as he would write to this church, they could relate to what Paul was saying because in Corinth at this time, there was the famous Isthmus Games. It, it was like the World Championships. It was second only to the ancient Olympic Games that was in Athens that was only about 50 miles from Corinth. So as they would read this, they would understand the athletes, that they would train, that they would be disciplined because they wanted to win that covenant Isthmus crown, which would include many benefits and other rewards. Now, as we read here, as he talks about running this race that is before us, uh, striving for this crown, Paul's not talking about salvation. He's talking about rewards. And we know, as we have studied going through the New Testament uh, in Matthew, the parable of the talents, uh, we read in the New Testament that there are rewards and crowns to be given to us in this life for what we have done for Christ. So Paul's talking about this crown, verse 25. 
as he writes, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we as Christians for an imperishable crown. Um, one, one of the things about January is uh, those of you who watch football uh, get into the playoffs of football and then uh, those who want to win the Super Bowl, no, Super Bowl trophy. Those trophies that man wins, and we got the Olympics next month, that, you know, it's special when we see those, particularly from our country, that stand on the podium and they get a medal. All that is going to perish. It's going to go away. It's only temporary. As much of a blessing as it is to receive those prizes and those, those trophies, whatever it might be. But we as Christians think about this. We have an imperishable crown that we are to run for. A crown of rewards that will last for all eternity. And we know that Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he would say that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. We know he also wrote the same thing in Romans chapter 14. And once again, the Corinthians would understand that as he wrote that that we must all stand before the Bema reward seat of Christ, that's in the Greek, that we are going to receive rewards for what we have done for Christ in this life, whether good or bad. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul explains how all of our works are going to be uh, tried by fire. Many Christians do not understand this. Many Christians think we're just going to go to heaven, and even some have kind of a Hollywood view of, you know, we're going to sit on a cloud, twiddle our thumbs, be bored, play the harp, whatever it might be. No, we're going to receive rewards. And Jesus talked about in the parable of the talents, in the parable of the minas in Luke's gospel, that he gave each one of his servants in that parable uh, a mina or talents, and that the master came back and the servants had to give an account of how they invested those things that were given to them. And of course, as the parable teaches us, that those invested in the master's goods, what was given to them, the talents representing the opportunities and gifts that he's gifted us in, uh, that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. I long for those words when I go home to be with the Lord. They hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And as we know that there's rewards to be given to us, matter of fact, some of the last words of Jesus that we have in the book of Revelation in chapter 22, and I'll read it to you. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So he's going to reward us for what we have done for Christ, and those rewards will last for all eternity. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. And in the parable of the Minas, Jesus said to, you know, as he explained that parable or told that parable, that that the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You're going to rule over ten cities. You're going to rule over five cities. You're going to rule over two cities. I can't wait to see what it is that we're going to do when we rule and reign with Christ. So Paul's not talking about salvation. A relationship with Christ is not a competition. You cannot win salvation. But there is a prize that is awaiting you. And you have a race to run. And in your race, you aren't running against anyone else. And I get the prize and everybody else loses. You're running against life. 
life on this side of eternity. And there are things in life that can cause you and me not to run a race well. Hebrews chapter 12, what we read in verse 1, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So how is it? How is it that you and I, that we can run our race with endurance? How is it that we can run our race well? Well, we learn from Hebrews chapter 1 that first of all, if you're taking notes, you can write down, lay aside, or you can highlight it. Lay aside every weight. Now, some of you that, that you perhaps run in a 5K race, the turkey trot, the 4th of July, maybe you do the 10K boulder boulder or the Fortitude in Fort Collins in September. And we ran, my family, the turkey trot in Thanksgiving. And when we do that, we run a 5K race or something, we don't have a pack on our back. We don't wear these real heavy clothes. We don't wear weights on our ankles. And, and not just weights, but I have to, to be free to run. In other words, I don't have a rope or you don't have a rope tied around your legs or around your arms. I need my legs. I need my arms to be free so I can run unhindered. So not only being weighed down, that weight in the Greek means the, a burden, a burden that weighs on you. It can be anything that distracts us from Christ and knowing him and loving him more and serving him and walking with him closely. Anything that hinders us from running effectively the race that is set before us. And it may not necessarily be bad. We all have in our lives and we can get distracted by the stuff of life, the cares of life, the busyness of life. I know that I can and I think that there can be things that we can give our time to and efforts in that really don't have much to do with the kingdom at all. And perhaps they end up being a weight. They end up being something that distracts us and keeps us from doing and serving in what the Lord wants us to do and drawing close to him. And you might be thinking, well, what are those things, pastor? I don't know. What are they for you? What it may be for you may be different for me. But one thing that we can do is we begin this year, and it's a good time to do it, that we can ask the Lord, Lord, just an honest evaluation. Lord, show me, is there anything going on in my life that I put so much time and effort into that it has become now a weight, really? It keeps me from doing those things that I know that you would have me to do and drawing closer to you. In serving you and walking closely with you. And I think that all of us, that we can do that, and the Lord will honor that as we do. And I believe that there are certain things that the Lord will say to us that you need to put this thing aside. Again, if I was running a race, the turkey trot, that I don't have a pack on my back. If I did, or something heavy, I come with a coat because it's cold on Thanksgiving. I take it off and I put it aside. And here's the thing again, I want to remind you, keep in mind, you have a race to run, I have a race to run. And it isn't like I'm out in front of you saying, come on, you need to run faster, you need to suck it up, man, you need to tough it out. I wouldn't do that. You have a race to run that is different than what I am running. So it is a race that is set before you. So don't try to run somebody else's race. 
because that in itself will weigh you down and hinder you. When I went to run the turkey trot, I wasn't up front in the front line running with the elite runners. I was in the back there with all the older guys, you know, that we would trot along and, and, and we were slower. That's where I was. So what was it that, or what is it that weighs you down and hinders you as you go to the Lord? Could it be so much time, the watching, you know, YouTubes and videos and social media and other things? It, it may be hobbies, and I enjoy doing things. And again, they may not be bad things necessarily, but they can just take up so much time, hour after hour, and instead of ministering and serving and reading the Word of God, being sensitive to the voice of the Lord, those things begin to weigh us down, begin to distract us, and actually end up taking us away from drawing closer to Him, being used of Him. The second thing that will hinder our race that is set before us, as mentioned here, is sin. Sin which so easily ensnares us. We're to, to put it aside. God has saved us from sin. He saved us from the penalty of sin. And he desires to, to work in our lives to give us the power so we don't have to live in sin. And that word ensnared literally means to be entangled. It means to be encircled. And that's what sin does. We are to run a course that is a course of holiness, a purity. We are to, to run in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. And listen, don't pursue sin. Sin will just entangle you. You can ask Samson about that, Judges chapter 16. I think that most of us, we know the story of Samson. He was playing around with sin. He was messing around. He, he, he kept, you know, you know, messing around in ways that he wasn't supposed to. As you read about his life, there he is with Delilah. Delilah's trying to trick him and find out where his strength is. She ties him up. And then finally, after a while, we see that she cries out, that the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He thought he could get up and just break the bonds that had him all tied up. And it tells us in Judges chapter 16 that the Spirit of God departed from Samson and he did not know it. It's one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament. So they come, he's bound up, they pluck out his eyes, they put him on a grinding wheel to grind grain for the Philistines. And that's what sin will do. Please understand that. Sometimes we think that, you know, I, you know holiness and purity and uh, that just, you know, I'm not going to have a good life. I'm, I'm going to have a boring life. No, you're going to be free and you're going to have joy. And what sin does, and it's a loving father that says, do not pursue sin. Lay it aside. Because what it will do is that it will bind you and it will blind you, and it will grind you. Laid aside. Because we have a race to run. And it isn't a sprint. It's, it's more of a marathon. And he desires for us to run unhindered. So again, a race, a runner is focused on the race. And when I run a race, I'm not over there looking at the trees. I'm not looking at the cool car on the side of the road. But I am to, as verse 2 tells us, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
So what's the key for us in running our race with endurance, to run our race well? Number one, to lay aside every weight. Secondly, every sin. And then thirdly, listen, this is really important. I hope I articulate this well enough for us to understand that it touches our hearts and we make it our own. That you got to keep looking unto Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. I like the, what the New American Standard says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's our key in our race because I can hear a lot of messages and teachings on endurance and holiness and living for God and laying aside sin in your life, which is true. Pursue holiness, obedience. I say amen to that. Do away with those things in life that will hinder you in running your race. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. But then I don't really hear anything about Jesus. Now, he plays a big part in that, doesn't he? Of course he does. The pattern of Scripture is that we are to give something up and then we're to pursue something else. So, flee useful lusts, pursue righteousness. Put aside every weight and sin that ensnares you and pursue and fix your eyes on Jesus. Get your heart on Jesus. Get to know him more. Look to him. He's the author and finisher of our faith. That word author means pioneer or to originate. He's the finisher of our faith. And that is good news for me. That's good news for me. It's something that Paul the Apostle carefully wants us to understand as he's inspired by the Spirit of God to write these epistles. That's what he wrote in Romans and in the book of Galatians. We know that the law is good. And Calvary Chapel know that I would never speak against pursuing holiness and living in righteousness. I will never stop warning against sin and that God has called us to purity. I don't care what culture says. That so much of the church is influenced by culture, but I want to know what the Word of God has to say. I want God to influence me. And He wants us to live in a way that is pleasing to Him. For us to serve him. That we're called to endure the race that is before us. But I also know for me that I got this flesh that I war against. And all, if all that we do is we emphasize duty, listen to what I'm saying. This is what you are to do. Amen to that. Uh, amen. And we know what God's word says. But it's more than just duty. It's also devotion. And the reason that I say that is because in my younger years, I thought, I'm going to live for you, Lord, and I'm going to grip my teeth, and I'm going to do this. And, and I would get frustrated because I realized I couldn't do those things in and of myself. And what can happen is if it's just duty and it's not devotion and I've got to rather than I get to and out of love for him and you will do more in love than you will ever do in your own energy and out of his grace. Sometimes people say, well, you know, you talk too much about God's love and grace. You know, the law is summed up in one word that Paul would write in Romans and that is love. That as I love him and as I look to him and then depended upon him, then I, he's going to give me the strength to do what he's called me to do. I can tell you what to do. I can't give you the strength to do it. But Jesus, the word of God tells you what to do. He'll give you the strength to do it. It's the work of the Spirit. 
So it isn't just gutting it out and gritting our teeth and I'll do it. It's the dependency upon the Lord and walking in his love. And if it's only that I'm going to do it and we're trying to do it out of our own flesh and energy, then you'll begin to be in bondage to work in legalisms and you will be one that instead of having joy of God, that you will have guilt and you'll be up and down like a roller coaster spiritually. One day I did great, one day I did wonderful, but the next day I didn't do so good. I blew it. And I realize how far short I come to God's standard. But to come to that point every single day that, Lord, help me to walk in the Spirit. And to know, even as the apostle would write, that the purpose of the law was to drive us to Jesus Christ. I believe that a sign of real spiritual maturity is realizing how incredible God's grace and love is. As I realize... You know, every race that you run, turkey trot, 4th of July, boulder, boulder, whatever, there's a fee to pay. But Jesus, the author of our faith, in the book of Hebrews, he's called the author of eternal salvation. He has paid the fee with his own life, with his bloodshed on Calvary, that you and I can even be in the race that he set before us to bring eternal life to us. And he desires for us to experience that life abundantly. And he is not only the author of our faith, he's the finisher of our faith. And that brings me great comfort. Finisher in the Greek takes on the meaning of completing the work. And, and that gives me just wonderful comfort in that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, as I quoted last week, Paul writing, being confident of this very thing. When he says being confident, he's saying this is a, for sure, no doubt about it, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And when I really made that my own, it's like, Lord, I can just rest in that, that you're going to complete the work that you've begun in me. Even as David would write in the Psalms, that he will perfect that which concerns me. And as hard as I try, and I want to be the man of God that God has called me to be, the father, the husband, the pastor that he wants me to be and called me to be, I need him working in my life. And to keep close to him and my eyes on him and looking to him and depending on him every single day. I love that hymn. I need thee every hour. Lord, I need thee. When I was a young Christian, when, you know, I would have good days and then the struggles and, and you know, the flesh wearing its ugly head and all this, sometimes... People would say, just look to Jesus. And I'd get irritated by that. What do you mean, just look to Jesus? Is that all there is to look to Jesus? I've come to realize that it's true. That it is true. I know that it is the Lord working in me, both the will and the do of his good pleasures. So we need to stay close to him. Keep focused on him. Looking to him. The scripture says you're to consider him. Behold him. That's what John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It means to study him. Get your eyes on him, fixed on him. And as you do, that you will be able to run your race well. Don't just look to yourself because you will not have a successful Christian walk or race unless you fix your eyes on him and what he's done for us, our Lord.
And then in verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we look at this, we know that Jesus, that he's the ultimate example of one who endured, knowing that his race would include going to the cross. Jesus remembered that he prayed in the garden before he was arrested, that if it is possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus, in that prayer, as we discuss, showed us something that is very important for all of us to understand. Jesus, our perfect and ultimate example of endurance, of faithfulness to the Father. He never did anything apart from the Father. He said, I work nothing apart from my Father, what he does. I say nothing apart from my Father. Everything that he did and said was in perfect harmony with the Father. And as we read the Gospels carefully in the example of faith in Jesus' life, we need to understand that the key to faith is not my will, but your will be done. To walk in that obedience. And oftentimes the message is today, what we hear about faith is, what can we get if we have enough faith? You just got to have enough faith. You got to muster it up. Well, Jesus said that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell mountains to be gone. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Trusting in his word. Yield it to his word. To his will in our lives. Being sensitive to hear with our spiritual ears and being led in our hearts as I sense the voice of God. As I read the word of God. And Jesus would humble himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and became obedient to the point of death, even at death on a cross. For the joy that was set before him So what was that joy? I think verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12 answers that. And that is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Philippians chapter 2, Jesus becoming obedient even to the death on the cross. Therefore, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, God also highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name. So the joy that was set before him was knowing that he would be exalted at the right hand of the Father. We know that Jesus, in John chapter 17, before he entered the garden where he would be arrested, he prayed to the Father, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God in a place of exaltation, his name above every other name. But also, I believe, for the joy that was set before him, because we know this from Scripture, is you. Is you and me as we come to him. We will be with him and the Father. And in that little epistle, Jude, right before the book of Revelation in verse 24, now to him who is able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, that Jesus is going to present us before the Father. When we breathe our last, we win close our eyes. And we go home to be with him, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. That as we hear those words, which I long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And being introduced to the Father, he's going to present us before the Father faultless, blameless. I think I am so far from being faultless and blameless. But that's our position in Christ and because what he has done for me on Calvary and washing away my sins and the work of his grace and the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you 
the joy that was set before him. But a third consideration, and I think this is important. For the joy that was set before him was not my will, but your will be done. It gave Jesus great joy, and he was full of joy because he was obedient to the will of the Father, which would include the cross. So what does that mean for you and for me? It should, listen, give us joy to be obedient to do the will of the Father. It should bring us joy. So the question again, as we present our hearts to the Lord this year, is, Lord, do I have joy in walking after you? Does it bring me joy or do I say, I don't want to do that. I want to live after the world. I don't want my life to be boring. But, Lord, I want to have joy in walking with you to be obedient to you because I know that you will do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask and hope. Number four, how can we run our race well? Well, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. He said, be temperate in all things. What does that mean? Well, those who were training and for the Olympics or Isthmus game, they devoted themselves to training. They were disciplined in their lives, what they ate, how they lived, their training, getting up early. That's what athletes do today. We got the Olympics next month, the Winter Olympics. And, and they don't come to an event and, and out of shape or unprepared, wearing the wrong equipment, you know, you know, eating a bag of Doritos. They don't do that. For the Christians, we've talked about these things. It should be a part of our lives that will help us run our race with endurance. Laying aside the weight, laying aside the, the sin, fixing our eyes on Jesus, but then being ones that we're tempered, that is, being disciplined. You're a disciple. It takes on the meaning of disciplined one. So having devotions. I pray this year that you read your Bible every day, that you make it a part of your day as you start your day, that you would be one that you are praying to the Lord, a man and woman of prayer, so important, that you continue to be in fellowship here with other believers, being encouraged and built up. There are things that we can do that will help us to run our race. Oftentimes when I talk to people, uh, that they'll call me and they're just having problems or going through difficulties, a lot of times I'll ask them, are you reading your Bible? Are you in prayer? Are you in fellowship with others? Well, I don't have time, and, and you know, we, we haven't been in church and all these things. And it's not a legalistic kind of thing, folks. Understand what I'm saying. It's wisdom. Being temperate, being disciplined in the things that we do, it will help you, encourage you. You see, the enemy wants to isolate you. He wants to isolate you, have you feel alone, that God is distant, that you can't go to him. Be in devotions. I cannot, I think, articulate how important that is for us to be ones that are looking to him every day. Read your Bibles. Pray to him. What an incredible privilege that we have to go to the Lord. He invites us to be men and women of prayer, to go to him. He wants to hear from us. Number five, as we continue quickly. Now I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 20. I love Acts chapter 20. I think it's the ultimate pastor's conference. As Paul, in, in verse 17, he's meeting with the elders from Ephesus, and he's in Mylita. And, 
as he's there, he calls for them. He says in verse 18, you know what manner of man I was in all seasons. It's what the King James says. Serving with all humility in verse 19. I held nothing back that was profitable from you, verse 20. He's just pouring out his heart to the elders there. And he goes on and he says that in verse 22 of chapter 20, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So number five, you can write down in your notes, die to self. We've already seen Jesus said, what you're to do if you want to be my disciple, that you die to self, pick up your cross and follow after me. Culture comes along and says you need to focus on self. You need to exalt self. It's all about self. Live for yourself. The Bible says that if you want to really live, the way to life is to die. You die to self. Paul here understood that. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. And God's still working this in my life. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, the apostle says. I know difficulty awaits me, trials and chains, but I'm compelled by the Spirit, and my life is not my own because I am in a race, and I'm determined to finish my race. I'm determined to finish my race. Die to self, and then number six, that you run your race with joy. Paul says, I'm determined to run my race with joy. This theme of joy keeps coming up. For the joy that was set before him. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist, when Jesus began his public ministry, that the disciples of John come to him and said, everybody's leaving you and they're following him. And John says, that's what's supposed to happen. I've done my ministry. I've testified of him. And as I testify to him of Jesus... He goes on to say that my joy is fulfilled. You want to have joy? Then testify of Jesus. Speak of Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. And run your race with joy. Run your race with joy. Don't let anyone take your joy away or rob you of your joy. And that can happen. Because we can go throughout the year. And because of circumstances, we become fearful or anxious or discouraged. And at those times that I need to trust in him and rest in this love, I, I begin to lose my joy. And I know that I've gone through that. And one of my prayers, particularly over the last couple months, is, Lord, I want to live my life and I want to do my ministry with joy. Restoring to me the joy of my salvation, as David would write. So everyone here... Run your race with joy. And joy is much deeper and, and richer than happiness. Happiness, I'm all for happiness. And the messages in the church today is God just wants you to be happy like we're going to walk around tapping our toes, snapping our fingers, you know, and, and whistling. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Do you think that the people down in Boulder County that lost their homes are happy? But even in the difficulties, 
And even in the losses, that underneath it we can have joy. A deep sense of peace and confidence. And this assurance that, Lord, you're with me. And I don't have to be afraid. And you promise you'll never leave me or forsake me. And over time, I can lose the joy. And I know that this year, for me and for you as well, we'll have our challenges. We'll have our disappointments. We'll have our difficulties. But don't let anyone or the circumstances rob you of your joy of just looking to the Lord and staying close to him and trusting in him and resting in his love. Run your race with joy. And as Paul, at the end of his life, he would write that my departure's at hand. And I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. And I finished the race. Let's finish our race. Let's run our race well, not only in this year, but the days that the Lord has for us, for Him, to run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these words of encouragement for this series. I pray it was a blessing to so many. And, Lord, I do ask that you would just help us to keep our eyes on you, fix our eyes on you, prioritize you. I pray that we would have devotion to you. We want to know what your word says. We're called to walk in obedience, but it is you empowering us to do that. To be men and women of prayer. To be men and women of faith. To be men and women to desire to please you because of our love for you. Father, I also pray that you just be with those that may be here today that you can honestly say there's not a lot of joy in my heart right now so I entered this new year. That you will restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Just having joy because we are saved. We belong to you. We're a forgiven people. And you're going to see us through and have him confident that he who's begun a good work will bring it to completion. That you will perfect that which concerns us. As the scripture says, the psalmist, my times are in your hand. We're in your hands so we can be joyful. I want to pray if there's anyone listening right now. Perhaps you never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. He is your salvation. He came and died on that cross for you, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He went to the cross to give you hope, forgiveness of sin. Salvation doesn't come by us or a church or being religious. It comes by repenting and turning to Jesus and calling out to him for forgiveness of sin. To say my life is not its own. And now I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. And the invitation is for you to come. Today is the day of salvation. You can do that sincerely in your heart. By saying, Jesus, that I come to you and I confess that I am a sinner in need of forgiveness.
forgive me of my sins. I believe you rose again. You're alive. Speak into my heart. I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for, for this race I now begin. I want to run it for you. I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. And I thank you for this new beginning in this new year. I thank you for your love and provision in Jesus' name. For all of us, that we would be light. Lord, we thank you for the Christmas season, the new year. But Lord, now we go back to work. We go back to school. Lord, I pray that we would be that light and that we would run with endurance, living lives pleasing to you. I thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?